Good afternoon. This is Pamela, and you are listening to Watchmen on the Pod. We are finally at the end of this book that the Lord gave me to write. Oh, praise His holy, holy, holy name. I'm sitting here extremely tired. I'll be honest, I just feel like something has zapped the life right out of me. I'm very tired. But. I'm very excited all at the same time. And this praise his holy name. I love him with all of my heart. And I want to get this finished. And then after I finish this reading, I will pick back up in the book of Proverbs that I started reading and also the book of Acts. And then I want to be able to finally finish the book reading by Dr. Kathy Burns, Billy Graham, and his friends, a hidden agenda that's very important but I did have to take a break from it because I'm telling you what when the truth of what these people were really compared to what we grew up and I'm talking about myself because I'm 53 years old I grew up knowing not personally, but knowing of Billy Graham by seeing him on the television that my grandma wanted to watch whenever he had a crusade on and stuff and how she just, you know, absolutely loved this man and then come to find out that he was nothing but a wolf in sheep's clothing. And then all the evidence to back that up was overwhelming. I'll be truthful. And so I did have, I thought I was going to be able to finish it. And if you recall that the last chapter that I had read or the last book read, I'd gotten so very sick. I got something called cellulitis on my face and it was really, really, really bad. I did not even know that you could die from that. I had no idea. And they said it was a good thing that I went in when I did. It was bad, brothers and sisters. It was really, really bad. It was so bad. I was on medicine. At first they had put me on a 10 day um, medicine and then the day before I ran out of those pills, I had to go back to the hospital because my jaw was hurting so very bad on the left-hand side. And then I had dark spots in my mouth all the way in back near the gum, not on the tooth. There's no t cavity going on here. And they had put me on the medication for seven more days, for 17 days of medicine that I was on. Wow, I didn't know it had been that long. 10 days plus seven days, 17 days, it sure is. So yeah, I was on medicine that long. Finally, praise the name of the living God. My face is healed, my skin is healed. Um, my jaw, unfortunately, they say that it is arthritis in my jaw. Never heard of such a thing, but I do know this, and I will tell you this, God is greater than the arthritis. And as I had said before, if this is a means that the Father has allowed to happen in order to humble me or to keep me humbled or to draw me closer to him, whatever, I rejoice and I thank him. Does it hurt? Oh, yeah, there's tears that streamed down my face. But you know what? I know that God has allowed it. He didn't cause it, but he has allowed it because there's nothing that happens upon this earth that does not first go through the hands of God. We need to understand that. And I love him and I thank him with all of my heart. 
Will I be healed from this? I pray with all of my heart, so. And I do pray when the when the pain comes. If Nikki's here with me, I'll say, Nikki, can you pray with me? And you know what? The pain does go away. Does it come back? Yeah, it does. But you know what? At that moment, I get relief. Thank you, Jesus. And then there's times that, you know, she's either snoring in the background. I know you've heard her. And I'm up by myself and I'll pray. And it ease up. And then sometimes I even have to put Oragel on. But it's not because God's not able. It could be that maybe my faith, my faith is weakened. So I always ask him to please forgive me for my unbelief and strengthen my faith. And he had told me last week, and I know people think he told you. It, it's not audible. You, you just know when the Lord's talking to you. But, uh. I was like, Father, please increase my faith. And he says, use the faith that you have first. Ah. And it was like, okay. You see, if you keep adding water to a full glass, you're not really getting any more water. It's just being wasted, is it not? The overflow is being wasted. You have to use that water in order to get more added to it i know some people think well that's kind of silly no that's the way it is that's the way it is so we need to exercise our body in order to gain muscle and get more strength right we need to exercise our faith in order to grow in it so i'll quit talking let's get to chapter 18 this is jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. John chapter 20, 16 through 17. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Matthew twenty seven fifty two through 53 And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Matthew 28, verse 2 And behold, there was, which men had been, a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Jesus had to present himself before God as the firstfruits and as high priest. Therefore, he had to be clean, and Mary, touching him, would have defiled him. Remember, Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb, on the Mount of Olives was an important burial place for the Jews. Mary would have been defiled by the graves of the dead, her being in the midst of a cemetery. Leviticus chapter 21, 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto the priest of the sons of Aaron, and say unto them, There shall none be defiled for the dead among his people. Leviticus chapter 22, 4 through 6. And what man soever of the seed of Aaron is a leper or hath a running issue, he shall not eat of the holy things until he be clean. 
And whosoever toucheth anything that is unclean by the dead, or a man whose seed goeth before him, or whosoever toucheth any creeping thing, whereby he may be made unclean, or a man of whom may take uncleanness whatsoever uncleanness he hath, the soul which hath touched any, any such thing shall be unclean until even, and shall not eat of the holy things unless he wash his flesh with water. Jesus is the ultimate first fruit. Number one, firstborn of Mary. Matthew chapter 1, 23 through 25. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Number two, first begotten of the Father. Hebrews 1 6 and again when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world he saith let all the angels of God worship him number three first begotten of every creature Colossians 1 15 who is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of every creature number four first begotten of the dead Revelation 1 5 and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood number five first begotten of the brethren romans chapter 8 verse 29 for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren chapter uh, not chapter but number six first fruit of the resurrection first corinthians chapter 15 verse 20 and 23 but now is Christ risen from the dead and became the first fruits of them that sleep. But every man in his order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Number seven, first and the last. Revelation chapter two, verse eight. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. His church is even called the church of the firstborn. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Matthew chapter 16, 16 through 18. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There has been a doctrine made from the statement of Jesus, and this doctrine has made Peter the foundation for their beliefs. They say that Peter is the first pope. Peter is not. 
That was not what Jesus was referring to. When Peter proclaimed, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, that statement, it was Jesus was, refer uh, was referring to as the rock. He would build his church, not on Peter, but on his proclamation on who Jesus was, is, and always will be. 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. First John chapter 5 verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And every one that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Praise God. That means we love the brethren, brothers and sisters. You, you No, no, no people got it all mixed up they say this is my church or i am this and i am that that's kind of sounds like where apostle paul said that you know he was hearing them say i am a paul i am apollos what was paul crucified for you was apollo crucified for you no you are not of baptism or not baptism was that baptist methodist whatever all these other pentecostal whatever they are all these other denominations christ is not divided no there's many members but there's only one body there's no division in the body of christ okay none so as they were saying i'm a paul and i'm of apollos no they're not you're of christ and if you're not of christ and if you you know identify with the denomination that you go to as a gathering you got issues i'm sorry but you got issues all right let me keep going sometimes i get off on rabbit trails and i certainly don't mean to anyway here we go here we go here we go when we receive jesus as our savior and lord we are born anew of the spirit john chapter 3 verse 6 through 8 that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot not tell whence it cometh, and withereth it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit." No one was born again of the Spirit until Jesus rose from the dead. After his resurrection, 10 out of the 11 disciples were the first to be born again. When we are born again, we receive the Holy Spirit immediately. He enters our hearts because we are born of the spirit it is not the same thing as being baptized into the holy spirit in order to be born again you must believe in the death burial and resurrection of christ jesus 10 of the disciples believed but one who was thomas did not and was not there when the others were born again of the spirit and you're like what are you talking about well, let's go to John chapter 20, starting at verse 19. Then the same day at evening, even, I'm sorry, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. 
And when he had said so, when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. When Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now here's Jesus and Thomas. June 20, June 20, John 20, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see his hands and the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Afterwards, when Jesus appeared, then Thomas believed as well. The believers then became the church of the firstborn. Praise God. We are not the firstborn. We are the church of the firstborn. The firstborn being Christ Jesus. Isn't that pretty awesome? I think that's pretty awesome. I really seriously do. And people would be like, what are you talking about? Listen, when you were born again, when you are truly born again, and you have asked for forgiveness for your sins, and then you repented of those sins. What does that mean? I thought it was the same. No, it's not. Repentance means to turn away from them and to turn toward God. You can ask for forgiveness for your sins, and Jesus is just. He will forgive you. But there's some people that will just ask for forgiveness and then they'll go about their day and they will continue to live in the sin that they had just been forgiven for no you must repent turn away forsake you get to the point i mean when you are truly born again when you are truly truly born again the holy spirit takes his abode in your heart okay that old spirit of yours is gone goodbye okay now your house is swept, cleaned, and garnished, and it's not empty because the Holy Spirit's coming. Okay? You got to get that. You got to understand that. Now, there are some that they ask for forgiveness. Their house is swept, garnished, cleaned. Oh, but what? It's empty. There's no Holy Spirit. The other spirit left because you've asked for forgiveness. That's clean by the blood of Jesus. So your old spirit's going to come back. And it's going to start looking around. <laughs> Find it clean. Hmm. All right. All right. Well, huh. So he's going to go back out and get seven more worse than him. Because it's empty. And he's going to take up his abode. Now, that's the way I look at it. If I'm wrong, please tell me. That's the way I see it. That's the way I see it. I don't know if you guys have ever backslid. I know a lot of people don't like to call it that. But went back into the world, turned your back on Christ, not denounced him, not renounced him. 
not like those who have completely totally apostatized, not those that have trampled upon the blood of Jesus, not those that, you know, knew the truth and then completely totally rejected it. No, I'm talking about those who fell back into sin and then, you know, it's a slippery slope and then you slide back into it. Have you ever known someone like that? Well, I was like that. Um, after I had wrote this book, I fell into sin. Bad. I wrote this book as I had found just a few chapters ago in 2003. In 2005, no, it was in 2006, toward the end of 2007, I backslid. It's not something that happens overnight, brothers and sisters. It's a gradual thing. You begin to forsake the reading. You forget to, uh, well, it's not forget, actually you forsake. You forsake the fellowship with God. You, if you, if, I, I went to church at that time. I went to, you know, a church, this fellowship. You quit fellowshipping with other believers. You know, Grandma Bertie used to say the guilty stay away. And that's exactly how it is. If you're beginning to think wrongly, if you're beginning to watch things that you ought not to be watching, if you're not in the word daily, because that is your food, um, you, you kind of tend to stay away from those that are still walking close with the Lord because you, you almost get this idea that they, they could see right through you and you're not as holy anymore, you know, so you kind of stay away. All right. Now, when I backslid, mm -mm. if you never heard my testimony, I have, I think, three different videos on it because my testimony is so large that, you know, one person <sighs> couldn't take it all in at once. The fall was great. Let's just put it that way. There's things that I did that I'm telling you what, before I was even born again, I never would have even touched some of these things that I had done. I was horrible, horrible, horrible. I had gotten so deep into depravity or whatever you want to call it. So when my house was clean, swept and garnished, and I began to sin, the Holy Spirit left. That old man is constantly coming back to check out the house to see if he can move back in. Well, then finally, one day, he looked, and it was like, it's empty. So he went, and he got seven more worse than himself, and they set up an abode. That's what I'm trying to say to you, okay? I don't even want to get into it, not, not with this book, how bad it was. So if you ever want to know who I am, what, what I've went through, why I'm so passionate about Jesus. It's because where he says those that has been forgiven for much, loves much. Listen to those testimonies and I think you'll understand. So let's keep going. Now, when you're born again, the spirit of almighty God comes inside of you. He's with you. He's your comforter. He is your teacher. He will show you things to come even. Now, at that time, 
you know you do not have the gifts of the Holy Spirit because that is a separate now people don't get this and you got to understand it right here the disciples when God when Jesus breathed on them and said receive ye the Holy Ghost they were not baptized into the Holy Ghost but they had received the new birth the new spirit a new heart the heart of stone was gone the heart of flesh was placed in they were given a right spirit they were now born again after Jesus resurrection later on on the day of Pentecost they were baptized with the Holy Ghost and that's where they had the um the evidence of speaking in tongues of uh just you know the gifts of miracles the gifts of prophecy all of that that is being baptized in to the Holy Ghost I know there's a lot of people that has been I mean I even have a friend this dear sweet friend her name is Kim and she was told you don't have the Holy Spirit honey you know you have the Holy Spirit when you have evidence of speaking in tongues what Pastor Paul says does all have the gift of tongue does all have the gift of interpretation does all have the gift of prophecy does all I mean obviously just by asking a rhetorical question such as that is like no <laughs> you know that's baptism of the Holy Ghost okay when you're born again you receive the Holy Ghost you do you do he's there he's there he will comfort you he will lead you he will guide you he will speak to you it's not going to be an audible voice brothers and sisters it's not it's not so I guess God could I mean there was one time scared me many years ago I mean I heard him say thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God and I swear I thought it was audible and it scared me I, I was scared I, I was scared and I stopped doing what I was doing I backed up went back into the house got shoes on you know what it was all about someone had said don't go out there without your your shoes on and it was like winter and I thought oh God has got to take care of me yeah uh-huh soon as I was just about ready to place my foot on that wet cold porch I heard those words do not tempt the Lord thy God I stopped and I was scared and I backed up into my house and I got my shoes on I'm not kidding I mean it's not laughable but I was scared so anyway but when the Holy Spirit speaks to you he uses your own inner voice your conscience voice I guess you want to say and it is faint he's not going to shout at you he's not going to yell at you he's not going to call you names he's not going to order you it's just a simple still small voice the more you heed his voice I believe the more in tune I guess you want to say you will tune your ear into hearing his voice and the more that you do the less apt you are going to follow the other voices and I'm not talking about being civil here okay I'm not I'm not but what I'm saying is there's many voices in the world brothers and sisters there is and so what I used to do and you know sometimes I still do it when a thought comes through my mind and I hear you know like a voice I'll be like all right Satan's not going to tell me to read the word so he's not going to say go read Jeremiah 23 
Right now, I'm in the middle of something, and my own self is not going to say, go read Jeremiah 23. So I've crossed out two of those voices. So I believe God is saying, go read Jeremiah 23. I can either accept it or I can reject it. But it's a still small voice using your own spirit voice, your own voice of your conscience, I guess you want to say. We got to tune our ear because Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and a stranger they will not follow. So, no, it's not going to be cracking thunder over top of you like, you know, he had done where he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You don't know. No, that's not. No. Uh -uh. It's just a very soft whisper sometimes, a still, small voice. And we got to really tune in. But there's so many voices in this world, brothers and sisters, that will drown out his voice if we're not careful. All right. I, I talk too much. I'm so sorry. Okay. So here it is. With all that said, we now see Jesus is the first of all things, and the first always belongs to God the Father. God commanded the children of Israel to give their first and their best. In Jesus, we see God gave us his first and his best. He expects no less from us today as he did then. The one that commanded us to give our best gave himself on a cross. No amount of money, time, worldly goods can even compare to his sacrifice. We do not give to God in order to pay him back for what he did for us. We give to God because he is first in our lives. And we do that by being a cheerful giver through offerings. It displays what is in our heart. Here are some of the first that God commanded Israel to give to him. Exodus chapter 13 verse 2. Sanctify unto me all the firstborn whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast. It is mine. Did you hear that? Did you see that? So it did not matter if it was male or female did not matter if it was male or female. When it says man, it is Adam, remember? And that speaking of mankind. So whatever opens the womb first. Exodus 20, not 23, 19. The first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not seethe a kid in his mother's milk. And that is why the Jewish people do not eat beef and cheese, so to speak, together. They don't because of that. But do you know, also, there is a dietary reason. That's why we in America, we're so fat, man. We love those cheeseburgers. You know, I'm sorry, but it's true. We are a fat nation. We are a fat nation. We really are. I remember when I went to Israel, I loved it. Oh my goodness, the food. I just love the food. And this is back when my mom was still alive. And my Aunt Faye and my mom went with me. And um, <laughs> Aunt Faye and I, we were just pigging out. That's a horrible thing to speak, say, really, when you're speaking out Hebrew food. But it was so good. And mom said, said to us, you guys are going to gain weight. Well, you know, really we didn't. And that's because of the kinds of food they prepared and we ate they had a kosher 
menu. You understand what I'm saying? They had a kosher menu. They knew the proper foods that we are to ingest in our body. And we do it for fuel in order to give us the strength and the ability to do things so we can burn it off, right? But when you mix cheese and beef, not good. That will literally make you fat and unhealthy. Don't mix them. Just don't mix them. Still, sadly, today I still mix them and I'm still fat. So I'll just put it that way. All right. Numbers 15. 20 through 21. Ye shall offer up a cake of the first of your dough for an heave offering. As ye do the heave offering of the threshing of the threshing floor, so shall ye heave it. Of the first of your dough ye shall give unto the Lord and heave offering in your generations. God also made a provision for his priests through tithes and offerings. The people were to give of their best to the Lord, like wine, oil, wheat, and some meat offerings. This was their portion. The Lord provided for them, as it ought to be today still. Those who minister unto the people and feed the people of the pure word of God should also be provided for. And that's through our offerings. If you want to call it a tithe, you can, but that is going back under the law. People need to understand that. The law of tithing was part of the law. We are not under the law. We are under the law of grace, okay? But that does not mean you don't give. You are to be a cheerful giver. And you are not to muzzle the ox that tread the corn. Sounds kind of funny calling a minister that, an ox, but that's what he does. He labors. He is chewing the bread, the word of God, in order to teach you so you can learn and be fed yourself and begin to grow and you go out and make disciples of men also. You understand what I'm saying? Now, some people, they work jobs plus do this. Some people don't work at all except this. And God says, you feed them. Supply their needs. As they're giving out the word, supply their needs. That's how I look at it. That's just how I see it. All right. Here are some scriptures of the first that God provided for the priests that worked in the temple. Leviticus 23, 20. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord. With the two lambs, they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. Numbers 18, 8. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Behold, I also have given thee the charge of mine heave offerings of all the hallowed things of the children of Israel. Unto thee have I given them by reason of the anointing, and to thy sons by an ordinance forever. Numbers eighteen twelve through 14 All the best of the oil, and all the best of the wine, and of the wheat, the first fruits of them, which they shall offer unto the Lord, them have I given thee, and whatsoever is first ripe in the land, that's harvest time, which they shall bring unto the Lord, shall be thine, every one that is clean in thine house shall eat of it. Everything devoted in Israel shall be thine. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 18, 1 through 4. The priest 
the Levites, and all the tribe of Levi, shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his inheritance. Therefore shall they have no inheritance among the brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he hath said unto them. And this shall be the priest due from the people, from them that offer a sacrifice, whether it be ox or sheep. And they shall give unto the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the mouth. The first fruit also of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil, and the first of the fleece of thy sheep thou shalt give him. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of thine increase. All of this is important and related to Jesus being the first fruits of the resurrection. Everything pertaining to the law in the Old Testament finds its substance in Jesus Christ. Even when the tithes and the offerings of the first fruit and how God himself would give unto the priests their inheritance, they had no other inheritance than what of the people gave God. Rather than, I'm sorry, yeah, I can tell I'm, I wasn't educated, was I? And he would in turn give a large portion to his priest. But the first always belonged to God the Father. Now, John chapter 12, verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 36. Thou fool, that which thou soweth is not quickened, except it die. When Jesus rose from the grave, put his blood on the heavenly vessels and purified heaven with his blood, he, being high priest, performed the duties of high priest. Now, coming back to earth, he had one more duty, and then all would be fulfilled. He had to come and gather his sheaf offering and present it unto God in the house of God. The Hebrew word Omer was translated at times as chief, sheaf, I'm sorry, sheaf, in the King James Bible. It gives us the idea that the wave offering was that of stalks, but that is not always so. The Omer, which is about two quarts, actually means a measure of things try. A sheaf is symbolic of people in scripture. Genesis chapter 37, 7 through 8. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaf stood round about and made omnipotence to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him, yet the more for his dreams and for his words. We see in scriptures, sheaf represents people in a time of harvest. This is the feast of first fruits. Leviticus chapter 23, 10 through 14. Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, 
and ye shall bring a sheath of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest, and he shall wave the sheath before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the high priest shall wave it, and ye shall offer that day when ye wave the sheath and he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the meat offering where thereof shall be two tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, the fourth part of an hen. And ye shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears unto the selfsame day that ye have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. The feasts of God belong to God. They are his feast, not Jewish holidays, but God's appointed feast. And that's why I say, why can't we as believers in Jesus Christ celebrate Passover? Why was I called a heretic? Because I believe we should. I'm not saying you have to. It's not, it's not a means of your salvation by no means. But I think we should. That's just my opinion there. Now Leviticus 23.2 Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Even these are my feasts. Exodus twenty three fourteen through 17 Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me and the Lord. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded thee in the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it thou camest out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. And the feasts of harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field. Three times in the year all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. Now, God commanded the children of Israel three times a year to go to Jerusalem for these feasts. Each feast represents an appointed harvest. Passover is the barley harvest, unleavened bread, first fruits. Pentecost is the wheat harvest. Trumpets, day of atonement, tabernacles, or ingathering, which is the fruit harvest. The time leading to the Passover was a busy time. Everything leading up to Passover had to be complete. The lambs had to be chosen and ready for sacrifice. All leaven had to be removed from houses, and the barley in the fields were bundled into sheaves and marked for the Feast of First Fruits. A few days after Passover, at the end of the weekly Sabbath, the priests would go with two other men from the temple of God and perform the first fruits reaping ceremony. Only one man would reap while the others witnessed. Many people also would witness the reaping and rejoice while it was done. But before the priest would um, would reappear, he would ask these questions. Now listen to this. One, has the sun set yet? Two, with this sickle? With this sickle? Three, into this basket? Four, on this Sabbath? Five, shall I reap now? 
After the other two would answer in, in, in affirmative, the priest would begin to reap the sheaves that were marked by red thread. They would take the first fruit sheaf of the barley harvest, prepare it, and then present it to the Lord in the house of the Lord in the morning. I'm sorry, I get so excited. I'm very excited about this. They would take and thresh the barley with a rod as to not injure the barley corn. Then it would go through an intense sifting process. At the end, the priest would thrust his hands in it. And if no flour was on his hand, then it was complete. Then they would mingle it with olive oil and a small amount of frankincense sprinkled over it. Then part of it was taken and placed in a large pan that had been pierced in order that every grain would be parched as it was cooked over the altar of sacrifice. The other portion was given to the priest to eat. After it was prepared, then the priest would focus on the blood sacrifice. The priest would then take the blood of the sacrifice given and carefully drain the blood beside the altar. Those present would say the prayers of first fruit. Deuteronomy 26.3 And thou shalt go unto the priest that shall be in those days, and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God, that I am come unto the country which the Lord sware unto our fathers, for to give them. Then the priest would begin to wave the offering before the Lord, and those observing would continue with the prayer. Deuteronomy 26.5 And then 9-10 through 10. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, A Syrian ready to perish was my father, and he went down into Egypt, and sojourned there was a few, and became there a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And he hath brought us into this place, and hath given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey. And behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which thou O Lord, has given me, and thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God, and worship before the Lord thy God. This one sheaf represented the whole harvest. Without this day, the rest of the harvest could not be harvested. This day was very important, for this day was the beginning of the counting of the Omer. What that means is, this was the countdown at the 50 days, or the seven Sabbaths plus one day to Pentecost, which was the wheat harvest. This first fruit was a promise for the entire harvest. Jesus fulfills this feast to a T in two forms. One, barley was marked before Passover. The Pharisees and Sadducees marked Jesus. The scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees cut Jesus down, while many people looked on rejoicing. Barley was the grain used for the poor. Jesus came for the poor. Barley was used for bread. Jesus is the true bread from heaven. Barley is beaten and sifted to make sure there is no lumps with it. Jesus was pure through and through. Olive oil was poured upon it. Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is interpreted olive breast, breast, press, prayed till his sweat became great drops of blood. He, being the anointed bread of life, is anointed without measure in the Holy Ghost. 
The frankincense only gives off its beautiful fragrance when it is crushed, broken, and bruised. Jesus was anointed before in Bethany with spikenard, before going to the altar of sacrifice. Apostle Paul tells us that the believers' lives become a sweet aroma before God and man. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet Savior Christ, in them that are saved, and in them that perish. No yeast was allowed in the offering. Yeast represents sin, and Jesus knew no sin. Honey was not allowed either because of the fermentation, which causes corruption. Jesus was never corrupted. Salt was to be added, though, in all sacrificial offerings to the Lord. Salt in the Old Testament symbolizes faith. I will explain. In the Old Covenant, all the offerings unto the Lord had to be seasoned with salt. Incense, Exodus chapter 30, verse 35. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. According to Strong's Concordance, the word tempered is used twice in the Old Testament. In Hebrew, there are two different words, two different meanings. The first is number 1101, and I can't pronounce that, which means to pour out, mixed, to mix with. This word is found in Exodus 29.2. The other word is number 4414. This word means to season with salt to be salted, to be rubbed with salt, tempered together. So we see the holy incense had salt in it, which represents our prayers. Revelation chapter 5, 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Revelation chapter 8, 3 through 4. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer at it to the prayers. It was the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand meat offerings and fruit offerings and salt of covenant which is irrevocable leviticus chapter 2 verse 13 and every oblation of thy meat offering thou shalt thou season with salt neither shalt thou off suffer the salt of the covenant of thy god to be lacking from thy meat offering with all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt when we worship, praise, offer up prayers and supplication, we are to always do this with faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We must ask, believe, then receive. Without salt in their offerings, the Lord denied them. Newborns were rubbed with salt. 
in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 4. And as for thy nativity in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. In ancient Palestine, newborn babies were rubbed with salt in order to harden their skin to make it dry, tight, and firm so the harsh elements would not harm them. Also, it was a sign of purity and keeping the babe from corruption. Romans chapter 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Faith is the only condition God requires for salvation. Without faith in Christ, you cannot be saved. Jesus is our faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Salt is a preservative. It prevents corruption. It brings flavor to meat. Job 6.6 6. Salt can make you thirsty also. Did you know if salt sits for too long upon a shelf that it can turn to poison? After it loses its savor, think about those who once was in the faith but became apostates and have begun preaching false doctrine. What they spew out is poisonous venom that is deadly to all that eat what they say. We are to be the salt of the earth. Matthew 5:13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. We are to season our speech with salt also, so it is pure and not corrupted. Colossians chapter 4 verse 6 let your speech let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man we also see faith was present at the cross through the repentant thief i believe his faith is the salt present at the sacrifice of the lamb of god the red heifer and the goats by Jesus' blood being shed, he preserved the new covenant with his blood. Now, let's go back to the first fruits offering. Part was to be burned in the fire, the other part was to be given to the priest to eat. Jesus, upon the cross, withstood God's fiery indignation towards sin. He left with us a memorial called the Lord's Supper. The bread and the wine, we are to do this as often in remembrance of him. Also at Passover, there is a bowl of salty water that is used to dip their bread in. This salty water represents their tears, but it also represents the word of God, bread of life, the spirit of God, water, and faith, salt in Jesus Christ. The sheath was taken from the ground at the end of the weekly Sabbath. Jesus rose from the tomb at the end of the weekly Sabbath. At approximately 9 a.m. was the time for the morning sacrifice of the meal offering to be waved before the
the Lord. It is at this time, I believe, Jesus presented himself before God after seeing Mary. The second way in which Christ fulfilled this, number two, Jesus in the lower parts of the earth for three days and three nights marked his first fruits with his blood in paradise. On the third day he rose from the grave, which was at the end of the Sabbath. After his resurrection, two angels of God came from heaven and become the witnesses to the first fruit harvest of the resurrection. Those that Jesus marked as first fruits rose from the grave by the power of the Holy Ghost, which represents the olive oil. Jesus' blood represents the sweet smell of frankincense. After rising in glory, they go into the holy city to be seen by many. Jesus goes to the heavenly temple as our, whole, as our high priest and purifies the heavenly vessels. He applies the blood of the offering, which is his own, on the altar. Now, he returns. He sees Mary Magdalene, tells her not to touch him, for he had not yet ascended up to his father. He had already went into heaven once to cleanse it. That's what he was supposed to do as high priest. He had to cleanse the temple just like Aaron did. Now, oh, praise God. When Mary leaves, Jesus gathers his wave offering, which is the saints that rose and goes to the house of the Lord and presents them before the Lord God. Jesus, standing before God the Father as our high priest, the first fruits and the he lamb without spot or blemish. This portion of the first fruits being the Old Testament saints belong to God the Father. The high priest portion is from then till the time he comes to receive his church unto himself. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to be with the Lord forever. Oh, hallelujah. The next harvest is a mixture of different grains. Remember that. Barley and wheat. Jews and Gentiles alike from all nations. This is Jesus' inheritance given to him as high priest from God. Psalms chapter 2 verse 8. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the other most parts of the earth for thy possession. Psalm 22, chapter, times chapter 22, 30 through 31. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and they shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born that he hath done this. Now, I'm just going to stop just a little injection here. People need to study that. That, that right there, what I just read, you need to study that. I'm going to tell you why. So many people are running to and fro trying to find out what is a generation? What is a generation? He says, this generation shall not pass this until they see all these things. What is generation? Generation, 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 like what generation is. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. Guess what? 
This seed that is serving him started on the day of Pentecost and will not end until the seventh trump sound and the vials of God's wrath comes falling down simultaneously at the same time. That generation has lasted 2,000 years, almost like 1,988 years or something like that, somewhere in there. I'm not exactly sure of the exact math, but almost 2,000 years so far. That generation has lasted because it's going to be accounted to the Lord for a generation. The seed that shall serve Jesus. We are the seed of Christ. We are. We are. We are. Aren't you excited? Okay. I'm going to stop there. I just want you to look that up. Study it out, please. Quit looking for things that man says is this and this and this and this. There's many different things that the 20, 20 what is it? What is it, Lord Jesus? Um, 40, is it? No, 50 years, 70 years, 120 years. All these can be counted as a generation. But the generation of Jesus Christ, where he says, this generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled, is from the time of Pentecost until the time that he returns. It's a long time for a generation, but it's really only two days to God. Think about it. As a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. Okay, so let's keep going. Isaiah 52, 15. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Jesus had to be resurrected to assume his role as our high priest and as our intercessor. Colossians chapter 1 verse 22 through 23. In the body of his flesh, though death. No, I've got to go because I think I miswrote that. Colossians 1. Let me go to it right now. I don't like to uh, misread the word of God. It happens because, you know, we're human. Chapter 1. Hmm. All right. Where's it? Where was it? Was it? Was it? Right here. Chapter 1. Twenty-two and twenty-three. Okay, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I Paul am made a minister. Glory to God. This great harvest is among us today. The good seed of the word has been sown, and it has been watered. Now the standing grains, along with Jesus, is waiting for the workers to go out and harvest his field. But alas, the laborers are few. Now, Matthew chapter 9, 37-38. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. But the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. It is our duty as servants of the Most High to go out and save those from the fire. Jude verses 22 and 23. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Conclusion
I pray with all of my heart that somehow this has blessed and encouraged each and every one that has heard this. It is my intention to draw you closer to the cross with the power of the word, to instill a hunger inside of you for the pure word of God. As you begin to read the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, I pray you will see Jesus Christ on every page after reading this for he is the word made flesh and it is all about him and his plan of redemption for mankind after the fall I do not claim to know the entire word nor all of the mysteries written within I certainly do not the entire Old Testament is written as a shadow of Jesus Christ and the New Testament is Jesus revealed, for he is the substance. No one could do what Jesus did. No one else could be the lamb, the scapegoat, and sin goat, the red heifer, or the first fruits, because these things were holy unto the Lord. Numbers 18:17 But the firstling of a cow or the firstling of a sheep or the firstling of a goat thou shalt not redeem they are holy thou shalt sprinkle their blood upon the altar and shall burn their fat for an offering made by fire for a sweet savor unto the Lord Deuteronomy 15:19 All the firstling males that come of thy herd and of thy flock thou shalt sanctify unto the Lord thy God and thou shalt do no more no work with the firstling of thy bullock nor shear the firstling of thy sheep I continue to learn each and every day and I, I could cry because I I do as the Lord deems fit to open scripture up to me what I do know I am commanded to share as I begin to share in the wisdom he has given me then I'll be able to receive more but wisdom is for naught if you do not apply it to your life knowledge of the word can make a man a scholar but prayer and knowledge will produce a man after God's own heart to accomplish this the spirit of truth must work within each of our souls I thank God that we have not a choice in what family we are born in in God's infinite love and wisdom he placed me within a God-fearing family my mom and my grandma prayed many prayers for me and I believe their prayers are being answered it is humbling to think that if it were not for their heartfelt prayers where I would be today God answers the prayers of a righteous man there is not a sincere prayer in faith that is not answered but it is always in his time and he is never late but he is always on time I am humbled in giving you the word of God while Jesus Christ is the one exalted through the pages of this book I want to thank 
or give acknowledgement, I guess that's the word I want to say, to my sister, Charlene Allen. She passed away a few years ago in 2017. That's when I returned to the Lord after being diagnosed with breast cancer in 2016. And uh, 2000, I was born again. 2003, God put this in my spirit to write. It taught me many things. But he also used my sister Charlene, who was serving the Lord as my teacher, as my confidant, my study partner, someone that I could sound things off. She taught me a lot. She helped me be able to do this. And now that she's gone to be with the Lord, I just want to make sure that I acknowledge her and thank her. I thank God for his word. I thank God for his son. I thank God for his Holy Spirit. I thank God for his grace, for his mercy. I thank God for God. I love you all so very much. As I said, this completes the book that he gave me back in 2003. If there's anything that, you know, you find that's an error, please, please, I'm asking you, do not hesitate to get a hold of me as soon as possible. I will go back, look into it, and then I will make another video and show others because I do not want to mislead anyone. I do not want to take a square peg and try to make it fit in a round hole. You know, I don't want to shave away. You understand what I'm saying? Well, many people are doing that with the Word of God. They're, they're finding things out in the world and then coming back to the Word of God and trying to make it fit in. And so they're, they're shaving off part of the truth in order to make it fit in. And you can't do that. That's what they've done with the book of Enoch and all of this fallen angel doctrine and the pre-tribulation rapture. And also this, this doctrine where it talks about, you know, if you have a, your first spouse, if they are still alive and you divorce, you are to remain single. You are, because if you remarry, then you are in adultery. That's the word of God. But see, people have twisted it and they said, oh, wait a minute. But Jesus is lesser before fornication. Okay. And your point being, go to the Old Testament. Let the word interpret the word. Fornication is something done outside of the bonds of matrimony. Meaning one of them had premarital sex with someone else. That doesn't mean they cheated on you after you got married. That's called adultery. That's not fornication.
Just like when Joseph found out Mary was pregnant, he was uh, he was ready to divorce her, even though they were not married per se. They were only betrothed. In the Hebrew tradition, once you're betrothed, you're considered man and wife without actually coming together with the ceremony and also oh what's that word i don't remember that word <laughs> you know have sleeping together i don't know how to put it consummating that's what it is consummation there's no consummation that doesn't happen until after the bridegroom goes prepares a place and the father says now you can go get your bride and then he goes and then they have a wedding feast and they consummate the wedding and he shows the toking right the token i should say joseph was going to divorce mary put her away privately didn't want to shame her because he thought she had committed fornication because she was pregnant but the angel of the lord said hey not so not so no 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 no. that's not what happened at all joseph she's pregnant with god's child and then Joseph rose up, and him and Mary got married, but he did not know her physically. They did not consummate the marriage until after Jesus was born, and the days of purification was over for Mary. Then he knew his wife. Mary was not a perpetual virgin, as the Catholic Church says. No. Mary had other children also. Mary knew she needed a Savior as well as we know. She was just very blessed and honored that God had chose her. But there's many things that Miss Mary, she hid in her heart. She didn't go around boasting, telling people she didn't. We could learn a lot from that. All right, brothers and sisters, I'm going to stop it there. I don't want to continue. I love you all so very, very much. If anything, I this is what I pray. I pray that you walk away from listening to this and say, I got to get in the word more. I want to know the word more. If anything, that's what I pray happen. The word of God upon the tablets of your hearts. So you will not sin against God or be deceived. All right. I believe I will be reading from the book of Proverbs here in about an hour or so. I love you all so very, very much. Be blessed. Be blessed, be blessed.